Amazing. It's a real honor to be here today. Um, whenever I'm in town, I try and come through here and, and, and spend some time here or catch up with Pete. And just the, the vision this church has, the voice this church has into, into the city and into the nation. And I know this word nations can be overused, but actually it is having an impact across the nations. And even if it just counts of me listening to the podcast on a weekly basis, that is reaching the nations. <laughs> technically. So it is doing that. And it's, it's a real special thing to be here to, to share with you guys, especially now as you look at uh, the book of Acts. And, and one of the things I'm super excited about being in Ethiopia is there's just this small young adults group that we run. There's about 25 to 35 of them, all in their 20s, hungry to learn more. And, and one of the things we said was, let's look at Acts because we want to be a community that reflects the early church. We want to be a community that's set on fire. And where Ethiopia sits right now, I don't know how much you know about it, uh, I know I'm banging on about this country. It's an amazing country. So much going on. Economic reform, political reform. New prime minister has just come up out of just this, this situation of, of just uncertainty for him to rise up and, and be this leader that wants to see unbelievable change happen. It's truly miraculous. And so as Ethiopia sits in this very significant place uh, globally, I want to see these young people have a vision for what is possible, a vision for how God could use them to be transformed. And similarly with here, the, the significance of London, the significance of London globally and what that looks like, especially now at a particularly uncertain time politically, is going to need leaders who have a vision for what's possible, saying, look, I know where we're going, follow me. And I feel out of this church, we could see people rise up. And so it's so, so exciting when you look at Acts, you go, if we see and learn from the guys here, we could potentially see the, the, the radical transformation that went on there, right? You sit here as fruit of what went on there, right? I'll tell you something else I like about, about the Ethiopian church, which also reflects the African church. It's when you speak to the congregation, they give you something back. You know what I mean? It's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I did this once before, though, and, and actually I got amens. And because I grew up in a, in a, a very Church of England environment, it was almost like someone shouted amen. I was like, thank you very much. And... It, dis it, it, it disrupted the whole flow. So maybe rather than vocally, with your faces will we'll, we'll suffice. So give me something with your faces. When my sister's here, it's like I'm speaking gold. She sits there. She has these eyes which are so big. And I just look at her and I just think, yes, like, I just speak to her. Um, so similarly, I, I feel I can't see you guys up there. But the rest of you here, I'll, I, I want to see that from you guys because it does something to you. Um, so... We're going to dive into Acts, yeah? So let's open up Acts chapter 4. And, and where I'm, we heard Lulu speak last, last week about how when the Spirit came, what that looked like. And so today we're looking at how it informs evangelism, how it impacts our, our, the sharing of our faith. And, and the message spreads when we share it. And so we're going to look at a particular passage in Scripture in Acts. And we're going to say, what can we learn from this for us today when it comes to uh, sharing our faith? I... I deep down have this longing for us to be able to, to grow in confidence when it comes to sharing our faith. I think it's at the heart of culture change. When you, when you look at all the dysfunctions of society and you boil it down, it's because we've got a broken relationship with God. And so as we look at this, we're brought back to, 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 to the key to how we see society fixed again. So let's look at Acts chapter 4. It's pretty chunky and I know we have a attention deficit disorder because of social media. So I'll try and Draw you back in as I see uh, concentration dropping. But let's dive in and read it. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. 
they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So a bit of context passage before this they're at the gate there's a there's a there's a guy who's been there he's he's lame he can't walk and they've told him to get up and they've told him to get up and walk and as he gets up and walks people gather and so it opens up this window for them to share the message of who Jesus is and as they do this it causes a bit of a stir and so we pick up the story here where they where they they they're they're being questioned so verse 4 Maybe verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and, and, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 5,000. I think we can often skim over this. 5,000. That's a lot of people. 5,000. This is how I'm going to draw you back in when you lose concentration. Verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Saiphus, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, they were, um, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is the point where I would be like, if I was in the group, and praise God I wasn't, if I was in that group, this is the bit where I'd be like, look, 5,000 is a lot of people, you know. All they're asking us right here is just speak no more of it and just go on your way. I would have been like, high fives all around, Successful day. Let's go home. Fortunately, I wasn't in that party. But look what Peter says. Verse 18. Then they called them in and told them to, to, to in, uh, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And in, in, earlier in the, in the first gathering, I basically said, I have no idea what the relevance of that 40 years old is. And a guy comes up to me after and he just says, the thing about 40 years old was this man would have been known. He would have been part of the establishment. People would have seen him. Kids would have grown up with this guy. And by this happening, it was a shifting 
of the establishment. I was like, whoa. Why didn't I, why didn't I meet you before? Like, that's profound. Truly profound. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, The place they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They spoke the word of God boldly. So as we read this and we go, we want to be a community of people that are recognized and set apart for for this boldness and courage that we read about. When we say that, we, we, we suddenly go, okay, what can we learn from this? There's a few things that I think we can take from this. Because one of my big frustrations is I I believe this thing. I really do. It's probably why I'm invited to speak. I I genuinely believe this. I believe God is in the business of freedom, healing, hope, life, like transformation. I believe it. But you won't see me sweating on the train because no one else believes it. I was on my way to, uh, to my, my sister's place yesterday, and we were on the tube, and I just thought, there is a tube full of people who don't know the good news of Jesus. Something has gone wrong for there to be a disconnect between my, my deep desire and belief to know this is true and, and what my actions say, right? And I think many of us can associate with this. We believe it. That's why we're committed to coming to church. That's why we serve. That's why we're in this. But if we, if we, if we review our everyday life, There's a disconnect somewhere. And so I go, I want to see that change. And I truly believe we can find the the answers in how we see a better connect between our belief and our actions in this passage. So the first thing that jumps out is their, their lives and actions spoke volumes. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 to 16. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. Their lives spoke volumes. And I'm challenged by this because when someone looks at my life, will they ask the question, what is different about you? Right? When someone looks at your life, will they say, what is different about you? Do our lives speak volumes? Do our actions lead people to ask questions of our motives, of where we come from, where we're going? Does it cause people to lean in? And so we lead with with our lives. And so as I think about this, this is something... um, 
we're wrestling with, with, with what we're doing with Shift. It's, it's going, how can we live this out in a way where, where people can see this? And so often, it's, it comes down to adding value. I'm so excited by hearing about this Growing Hope program and, and what Naomi's doing. She's seen a problem. She's providing a solution. And in turn, people are saying, who are you? What do you do? Where do you come from? And so as you add value, you begin to see people ask questions. I, I don't know how this happened, but I had this opportunity to, to, to speak to this guy who preaches to the Pope, right? And so I, I just basically said to him, so what's going on? How, how can we see cultural renewal in, in, in and across the world? And he's like, do you know what's funny? He's like, you would have thought it was through Alpha in Italy. But you know what's really seeing revival break out? The marriage course. He's saying, we are running this marriage course in a way where people's lives are being transformed. And their follow-up question is, where does this come from? Why do you do what you do? And they're able to then say, look, let me point you to Jesus. And I found that to be fascinating. I found it to be true when I was at university. We had a thing called Club Mission. And it was a, a room in the students' union where anyone who was wasted could come stumbling in. It was so much fun. So much fun. Friends would come running in. It was nuts. It was nuts, yeah. Those days, good old days. But we found as we met these people where they were and listened, that the, the, they were interested in where we came from. And, and my, in my own personal life, I, I found that to be true. I remember um, a couple years back when I was super passionate about, like, just an unbelievable compassion came over me. And I was going to this event. And on the way there, there was this, this guy who, on, the, on, the, on the curb. And he was walking towards me. And, and it was a mix of compassion and he was taking up the whole curb. Because he was wasted. Like fully wasted. And he was just like not all there. And I, as I approached him, I was just like, dude, let me, let's just go get some food. Let's go get some food. And so I convinced him, even though he didn't want to. I convinced him to, to come with me, and, and we went to McDonald's. Don't judge me. Um, I know three years, I left three years ago, I came back. There's a, there's a big vegan craze and a whole bunch of things that I, I realized <laughs> there's, some, there's, there's something I have to be culturally aware of that I've lost touch with. So I went to McDonald's, okay. And so we're there, and, and basically I was like, um, let me get you something. He's like, no, I'm like, come with me. Let's just go to the till. Let me get. He's like, no, I don't need your help. And he literally pulls into his pocket like, it, what looked like a thousand pounds worth of cash. And he's like, take it, take it. I was like, dude, put that away. Like, put that away. There's people like, what is going on here? There's a drug deal going on at McDonald's. Like, no, put it away, put it away. Get him whatever, a Big Mac or something. And we sit down and we just get talking. And I just listened as this guy just laid out. His, he, was, he was drunk because he, he's, he's so lonely right now. He's working his socks off to provide for his wife and kids who, who live in a different country. And he was just... He was at his wit's end. And in just meeting him where he was, he was just, he, he was so moved. And so I said, dude, I, I have to run, but take my number. And after this event, I'll, I'll meet you. And so he's ringing me during the event. He's like, still meeting? I'm like, yeah, 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 we're still meeting. Um, and so afterwards, we, we go to meet. And he's like, I got you a gift. And he gives me a, a bag with a bottle of beer in it. And I was like, thank you. Um, <laughs> and, and we go and we carry on chatting for a, a bit longer. And I could see this guy's like, He's been in some fights, and, and his knuckles are bleeding and, and everything else. And I was like, well, you okay? He's like, yeah, if you... And he pulls out a sock with, like, a, um, a pool ball in it. If he's like, if you punch people with this, it actually doesn't hurt. And I'm like, thanks for that information. <laughs> um, but anyway, we have this deep chat, and we stay in touch. And, and every couple, a week or two pass by, and he'll ring me, and it's him going, I love you, I love you. I'm like, I love you too. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was a weird relationship. We went, but but I, I remember just this guy had really caught, caught my heart just because I cared. And in the end, he, he was so interested in, in why I did it that he was willing to go to Alpha. Eventually, like, we lost touch and, and, he, and he, he disappeared. But I, there was something in that that really highlighted this for me. That when you listen, people want to listen to you. When you show love, people are interested in, in why. And this also raises an interesting point because at that you could say, well, you didn't see him make a commitment. And I think so often when it comes to evangelism and sharing our faith, we become results orientated, right? If it, it, you decide the outcome. But there's this interesting analogy that I love. It's this, it's this story of how there's this man and, and God puts this massive boulder in front of him. And he's like, push the boulder. And so this man with all his might pushes the boulder and he pushes the boulder and he spends his life pushing this boulder. And as he gets older and more and more tired, he's like, God, it's not moving. And God's like, I didn't ask you to move the boulder. I told you to push the boulder. And I think that's such an interesting analogy for me when it comes to sharing our faith. You leave it to God to deal with the results. But all we're called to is obedience in in sharing that. And so we do that and we start that with our lives. But it doesn't just end at our lives. I, I, I played hockey at university and when I went to university, one of the biggest things I wanted to do was represent and, and, uh, my, my faith well. And so I just said, as a statement of faith, I'm not going to drink. And so by not drinking, hopefully that will raise questions and, and we'll see what happens. And maybe by osmosis, people might come to know Jesus. So on this, uni is mad crazy, by the way. So like, especially in the hockey, hockey squad, who played hockey at university? They are barbaric. This was before the days they banned that crazy stuff. I went to uni in the wrong era. So basically, like, on your, on your debut, you would have to stand on a, on a bench outside the students' union in your boxes and down I don't know what. And, and because I said I wouldn't drink, I had to do it with milk. So, and you'd race the other freshers, right? And because, because I was doing it with milk, it was like whoever finished last would have to do another one. So they're like, whatever this guy believes, he must believe it because <laughs> this is, like, some serious costs right here to, to whatever he's decided to follow. So anyway... One, one morning, we have an away game, and we're all sitting around in the foyer waiting for the, 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 the van to arrive. And one of the guys comes to me, and he's like, so why don't you drink anyway? And I, I was like, this, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I thought they would just get it, but now I have to explain myself. And I, was like, I plucked up the courage to be like, well, I'm, like, uh, I'm a Christian. He's like, what? We thought you were Muslim. <laughs> and... At that moment, I realized that actually actions alone will not suffice because people will come to their own conclusions of why you live the way you do. Obviously, very politically correct time. Things have changed since then, I am aware. But I was fascinated by that, that people will come to their own conclusions if we don't speak it. And so there are some great people that maybe don't know Jesus. And, and what, what, how are you different? And I've, I've, I've tried to explore this, this thing of Francis Assisi's quote. I think people can take it and use that of, of um, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. I've really tried to drill down into that. And I can't get out, unless it's interpretive dance, I can't understand how that's actually possible. You know what I mean? If, if, you have to use words, right? There's some talented interpretive dancers that probably could communicate it. But besides that... I, <laughs> I can't see, if you don't use words, how you're able to share your faith without using words. So, go on and try the dancing? No, I can't. I don't know. No, I, I haven't figured it out. 
So it's not just actions, but it's with our lives as well. It's not just our lives, it's our words as well. So verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were speaking it. They were speaking it. And I'm, I'm fascinated. I was reading an, an article actually this week about the Barna Group. They do huge studies. Alpha USA funded it to figure out like, um, to figure out just uh, where's the state of faith in the USA when it comes to sharing your faith. And it came out that 46% of Christians, millennials, actually not only don't necessarily feel they need to, but actually believe it's wrong to share their faith, to actually try and convince someone to come around to their way of thinking. And I just thought, that is so of the culture, right? That is so of the culture, of, of this thing of, like, I don't want to offend. And we see here the environment that, that these guys were in was, was hostile. And similarly, I feel there's, there's an element of a hostile environment uh, that, that we're in ourselves, where, where we fear that... that if we're to bring it up, we will offend. For them, it was, it was physical death, right? For us, it's, it's the social death that we fear, I think. And so it's interesting that actually, if we're going to see the church rise up and spread, there is, a, there is a, an understanding of this that needs to go on. And then an equipping and a learning of how do we share our faith? How do we become people that despite the culture around us, because honestly, it, most of us operate like this, it, Go to work Monday, Tuesday, and it's like, yeah, uh, my, 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 the way I'm going to share my faith is hopefully they'll ask me what I did on a Sunday morning. Um, and if they say that, then maybe I can skirt around the issue to get to the point where I'm a, a Christian and maybe somehow. But actually, what if we flip that on its head and we led the conversation, right? What if we flip that on its head? And I, I, the perfect picture for me is I have a, I have a little um, nephew called Toby. Toby, Ethiopian nephew, so like... Uh, in Ethiopian culture, so everyone's like, your sister has a baby? I was like, no, 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 she just got engaged. She's, she's, it's my cousin, Ethiopian cousin, not blood cousin, his kid. My favorite person on earth, my favorite person on earth. Miracle child, unbelievable kid, right? And Toby is about to have a, a little baby sister, right? And his mom and dad say, Toby, now this information is actually not public yet. So please... Just keep it to yourself for now. Just so we're ready to tell everybody that you're going to have a baby sister. Every social gathering, you look at Toby and he's like, Mommy, Daddy, going to have a baby. <laughs> and like, Toby, we told you this is not public yet. You see him try and like hold it in and then a little cheeky smirk come over his face. He can't hold it in. And so when we, when we say we're called to share our faith, it shouldn't be like this. Let me convince you A, B, C, D, and this is the logic behind it. It's, it's, it's actually Toby with this great news that he's about to have a baby sister. Do you know what I mean? And so because of this, he can't keep it in. And so some of us, I feel we need to get back to the, to the root of what this was, this good news, this truth that we can't keep to ourselves. We have to ask the question, do we believe that people are better off knowing Jesus as their personal savior? Do we personally believe that he brings freedom, that he brings hope, that he brings purpose, that this has eternal consequences? Do we believe that? And I think that's the, the, the first place of starting. 
Because if we do, it should be an element of like, I can't keep it in. I was also struck by the idea, whilst at university, just I remember looking around and thinking, wow, as, as Christians, we are in the minority in a big, big way. And then it dawned on me that I may be the only Christian that some friends have. I may be the only Christian that some of my friends on my course or my sports team may have. So actually, it's like I have a key, right? And this key, they can only get access through me. And it's not to heap weight or, or, or guilt or anything on people, but it's to say there is, a, there is a big responsibility that we have been created to be channels that point to God. And so you have been placed in your work, one of your specific missions and purposes as a believer and as someone on this earth is to be that witness to your workmates, to your, to your colleagues, to your family, to your neighborhood. And I think when you realize that, you go, okay, there is a, an added sense of responsibility here. That if I believe it, that means I have keys that I'm to share because it, I want them to have a, a, a cut of this key. And so it adds this added sense of, wow, okay, the ratios mean. And some people may, I, I don't know, it made me think that some people may not have Christian friends at all. And so those that do, and you're one of them, it's like an amazing privilege. So there's an added responsibility. And so we say, okay, we want to share our faith. How, how do we do it? How do we get there? And so we read here. In the heart of the passage, I feel, is, is the answer to how we get to a place where we're living bold and courageous. So look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had been with Jesus. These uneducated men had been with Jesus. This was an overflow of knowing him. This was an overflow of spending time with him. This struck me so deeply. It was like this was just an overflow of their relationship with God. If you think you're going to have the boldness and courage to go out there into the culture and be a light and be bold and courageous, having been disconnected from the source of life, you're going to struggle. You may have the, the self-will for a day and a half, but any longer than that, I don't think you're going to sustain it. And so actually to be connected, to have rhythms where you're, 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 you're spending time with him, it's going to be so, so key. And so as we continue, as they spent time with him. It was an overflow. And then what they do next, after all this kicks off, for me, is, is, is it. If I want to grow in boldness and courage, what needs to happen? This is what we look at verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So, you saw what happened. They're told to keep quiet. They say, sorry, we can't keep quiet. They don't know what the cost would be, by the way. At this moment, when they say, sorry, we cannot not talk about it, it was very likely that death could have been the, the consequence for that. But despite that, they say, sorry, we're going we're gonna to keep talking. And then what happens? They go back to their group. And you can imagine their small group of friends going, what, guys, what happened? What happened? We saw them take you away. We saw the, the miracle that happened. We saw 5,000 people come. Like, what happened? What happened? And they come back together again. And as they come back together again, they say, let's pray. And they begin to pray. And at this moment, I would be like, okay, 
Courage, boldness, tick. Let's pray for integrity. Let's pray for um, generosity. Let's pray. What do they pray for? They pray for more courage and boldness. This was a rhythm of their day. They come together. They pray for courage and boldness. They go out. They see things happen. They come back together again. I bet they shared failures, successes, and then they come back together. They share. They pray. They get sent out. That, for me, is, is either what church or a small group or whatever is meant to be. You come together. You talk about what went wrong, what was good, and you go back out. You fail. You come back in. You, this rhythm. And so as, as you look at this, you go, okay, one is prayer. It didn't end at prayer. And, and in the earlier, earlier gathering, I was, I was praying, and I just felt God give me this picture of, it's like, I'm not really a big baker, um, but dough rises when you put it in a, an oven, right? <laughs> I actually had to Google it after. I was like, I didn't, I didn't preach any baking heresy earlier, did I? But basically, it's like, I think, I think what God does when you ask for courage and boldness is give you the dough. And actually, it doesn't turn into something magnificent until it goes into the fire, right? And all of us have been given this dough, right, to put in the oven to see grow and be this amazing, delicious delight. But many of us, we like the dough and just the squidging, and we just keep it. And it's like, what's going on here? It's not fulfilling its purpose. But when you go out there and you're under the heat and you're, you're, you're like, okay, my friend... I've been praying for a long time. I feel now's the time to just open up and begin le- like having the conversation around faith and what they think. That's when the heat comes on. That's when this turns into boldness and courage. And it's a rhythm. It's a rhythm of, of prayer and practice. Prayer and practice. Prayer and practice. I realize that it's actually about coming out of your comfort zone. That's where I see the heat is. When you come out of your comfort zone and you try things. And it's okay to fail. It's okay to get it wrong. I, I personally know a lot about failure. Um, when I finished university, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, and one of the things I was like so struck by was if I want to be an entrepreneur, failure is going to be a big thing. You're going you're to encounter it everywhere. And so I wanted to grow in my ability to overcome my fear of failure. And I embarked on a, a journey called My 40 Days. And it was about just exposing myself to, to rejection after rejection, to hope that I would grow in my ability to, to deal with rejection. Now some of you guys are like looking at me like, he is crazy. He is crazy. Well, actually, no. The reason that it was so good is because I was so shy. And, and I hated putting myself out of my comfort zone. And I learned so much. I think we have a video just to give you a taste of like what it was like. Um, so this one was essentially about, well, I explained in the video, so I don't need to do it twice. Are you into uh, storytelling? Uh, I write music, but no, not right now. We, we should exchange huh? stories for songs. We should exchange your songs for my storytelling. Take, take my number. I've got a rush, though, so Do take you? my number. I believe we live in an age today where those that can hold people's attention with storytelling win the game. And so today we're here in Fulham, and I have to hold strangers' attention by telling them a creative story. When they saw each other, they did not know what they were going to do. Yeah. They literally had seen each other twice before. Yeah. But this time, they just didn't know what oh, to do. I'm, I'm a rush. Oh, uh, sorry, Bob. Yeah. I'm in a mad rush. Right are you? Yeah. Oh, I was about to tell you a real creative story. What's about? Sarah, at 14 years old, had left her. She'd been through a lot in, in her age, in her time. She'd grown up in East London. They, they used to sit and drink tea to pass the time. 
Sorry? They used to sit and drink tea to pass the time. But suddenly, when Sandra was no longer around, they were, they, they had, yeah, but putting down any fire. Sports shops around here at all? Sports shops? Yeah, from both shorts or anything like that. Yeah, there's a Chelsea store at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I Okay. <laughs> I was in the middle of telling her a story. You can join in, so. No, no, I'm, I'm late, sorry. I okay, just right there in that moment, they did not know what was going on. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But my legs hurt, she said. My legs hurt. What am I talking about? Yeah. Well, you, you, you find out, I'm getting to the, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to I'm, the, I'm, no! And he says, listen, listen, we're gonna be okay. And that's a <laughs> That is your face. Every time I look at you, you are... Keeping a straight face. What are you doing today? Creative, creative storytelling. Creative storyteller, do you just make up the story on the spot? Well, that's part of the, part of what, you, yeah. It's, it's two stories you just tell us, but they're just on the yeah, spot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, do you write yeah. stories? Yeah. I wrote poems for girls on Tinder, but... Uh, no way! Yeah. That is creativity. <laughs> you don't know what's happening. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know what's happening? I'm telling you a creative story. Moved <laughs> <laughs> to West London. Yeah. But the love, the love in her heart, she couldn't make up. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? That's great. It's a story of love. It's a story of adventure. Sick. Yeah. Sick. Creative storytelling. Sick. Yeah. Great. I'm trying to get better. Sick. It's yeah. hard to hold people's attention, Sick. but this is life. So. It was, Portugal, yeah, it was yeah. um, Portugal, what? incredibly fun to do. It, was, it, it threw me out of my comfort zone, but I learned some valuable, valuable lessons. They took different themes and different angles, and at the heart of it, it was like the fear of failure, the fear of rejection is rooted in the fear of man. And the fear of man is what's going to stop people not only from, from chasing their dreams, but sharing their faith. And actually, you will be held captive if you allow the fear of man to hold you. The other thing I was struck by is actually like, Say with evangelism, even street evangelism. Because maybe we've seen it done in a way where we'd be like, that is crazy, we kind of write it off. But I'd look around this room and if, if any of you approached me in a dark point of my life and you said, look, can I just talk to you about something? Do you think I would say, hey, F off? No. I'd be like, you know what? Okay. I, I, I probably need some. And, and I think the thing we don't realize is Beneath the surface, how many people are so hungry? Beneath the surface, how many people are so desperate for someone to meet them where they're at and to speak life, to give them an opportunity to, to, to meet the Savior? And so I learned so much along this way with this project. And I actually hoped that it would propel me into growing in my ability to step out my comfort zone and, and do that. And there was, so, there was so much fruit from it. But I would encourage us to actually take on this thing of, of practicing, prayer, practicing, prayer, practicing. So when you see the opportunities to join the, 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 the Cole Rain guides, everyone should be out there. I, I often see it as like, um, it's not something that just comes. Like suddenly you pray and now you're the, the, the best person at sharing your faith. It's actually by getting it wrong a few times. It's actually about putting yourself out there and doing it in community, doing it with friends, on the train home just saying, okay, this is going to be scary, but guys, should we give it a go? Who's God telling us to speak to? So with that, maybe we can um, go into a time of just uh, 
asking God to give us that, that boldness. Because here is the point where we receive the dough. And then when we go out there, it's where we expose it to the fires.